I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Americans are polarized politically, culturally, and medically. Is there anything we can do to overcome our divisions? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Are you fed up with bickering and division? Our guest is a physician and a healer who bases his medical practice in data. Why does he believe that practicing sincere compassion could help make all of us healthier? His book is titled Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others Is the Best Medicine for Yourself. Can we reverse the attitude that there's a pill for every ill with an extra dose of kindness? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, find out why compassion is a wonder drug. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, influenza is spreading like wildfire across the United States. The CDC has detected a rapid increase in cases of type A, H3N2, and H1N1 flu in all states. As in Australia six months ago, influenza is hitting early and hard in North America. It's estimated that over 6 million people have caught the flu and nearly 3,000 people have died. We won't know how effective this year's vaccines are until spring. If there is a light at the end of the tunnel, it's that influenza in the southern hemisphere peaked early and faded fast. Let's hope we follow that pattern, too. Some public health experts are concerned about the possibility of a triple-demic. In such a scenario, three different respiratory viruses circulate at the same time. Influenza respiratory syncytial virus, and SARS-CoV-2. Each of them can put people in the hospital, and very young children are particularly vulnerable. Some pediatric emergency rooms are already overwhelmed. Precautions can interrupt viral transmission, but only if enough people observe measures such as scrupulous hand-washing, wearing N95 masks in public, and staying home when they have symptoms. Neuroscientists are cautiously excited about lecanemab, a new medication that targets beta-amyloid buildup in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. So far, most drugs that reduce amyloid plaque in the brain have no practical effects on patients' daily lives. A few months ago, though, the drug's developers announced that it slows cognitive decline over the course of a year and a half. Right now, investigators are looking at some alarming red flags. In the Phase two trials, people taking the drug had more brain shrinkage or atrophy than those on placebo. In general, brain atrophy is an unwelcome development. Equally concerning are two recent deaths of trial subjects. In a study of a related drug, aducanumab, nine people taking the medication died. If anti-amyloid drugs are associated with a high risk of death, physicians will probably be reluctant to prescribe them and patients may be unwilling to take them. Last week, we reported that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, naproxen, or diclofenac may damage cartilage after long-term use. Radiologists monitored nearly 1,000 people with osteoarthritis of the knee, 
after four years, those taking NSAIDs had less cartilage and more inflammation. This week, radiologists reported that corticosteroid injections speed joint degeneration in people with knee osteoarthritis. In one study, the researchers compared x-rays of 50 people who got corticosteroid shots to 50 controls and 50 people who received hyaluronic acid injections. After four years, people who had steroid shots had worse arthritis than people in the other two groups. Another study used MRI scans to monitor arthritis. 44 of the 210 volunteers got corticosteroid injections in their knees. The images revealed that two years after treatment, knees exposed to steroids had more severe cartilage damage than others in the study. Colorectal cancer is common and deadly. It's the third most common malignancy and the fourth most common cause of cancer death in the world. A new study published in BMC Medicine reports that diet can make a difference. The investigators recruited more than 200,000 individuals in Hawaii and Southern California between 1993 and 1996. During almost 20 years of follow-up, nearly 5,000 volunteers developed colorectal cancer. Utilizing data collected on diet, the researchers determined that men eating a diet rich in healthy plant foods had a significantly lower likelihood of developing this type of malignancy. The investigators hypothesize that a diet rich in fiber, polyphenols, and carotenoids has anti-inflammatory activity. The gut microbiota may also contribute to the anti-cancer benefits of a plant-based diet. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The world seems increasingly polarized. Even medicine has become divided on so many issues, from COVID to cholesterol. Our guest today says there is a simple step we could all take to help bridge the divides that separate people. Dr. Stephen Tresiak is a physician scientist, professor, and chair of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and chief of medicine at Cooper University Healthcare. His latest book, co-authored with Dr. Anthony Mazzarelli, is Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others Is the Best Medicine for Yourself. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Stephen Tresiak. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I look forward to the conversation. Dr. Tresiak, you start your book with a quote. Without data... You're just another person with an opinion. That's right. Why Why in the world did you introduce your book with that quote? Well, it's a great way to introduce the readers to the way that Dr. Maz and I think. That's Anthony Mazzarelli, MD, my colleague and co-author on the book. And we're physician scientists, and we live in the world of academic medicine. And in academic medicine, it's all about the evidence. And so we try to bring a rigorous evidence-based approach to everything that we do. 
both our clinical practices, him as an emergency physician, in addition to being the CEO of our health system. And for me, as an intensivist, a specialist in intensive care medicine, in our clinical practice, we try to bring rigorous evidence to everything that we do and have every practice that we um, that we use to be as evidence-based as it possibly can. And similarly, our approach to writing this book was to bring the evidence, and that's what we did. And there is a lot of evidence in this book. The title is Wonder Drug, and people may be expecting that you're writing about some kind of breakthrough prescription medication, but instead you're focusing on actually an attitude focusing on other people and and practicing compassion. Why do you call that a wonder drug? Well, we actually do offer a prescription of sorts. It's not a pill. It's not a medication that you can infuse through an IV. Rather, it's human connection. And in, in many areas of science, there's evidence that human connection can modulate, if you will, our physiology, our biology. And what we've done is curated all the scientific evidence. And there there are, although we present it in a very accessible way that anybody uh, with any background could read quite easily, behind all of the messages are 250 original science research papers. These are original science published in peer-reviewed journals. And what we do is present the evidence that it's how we interact with people in our environment, how we connect with people, how we serve other people that can actually have a myriad of not only physiological, but psychological effects, effects on our emotional well-being, even professional success. And so we frame it as wonder drug because the evidence is that compelling. Well, you know what I find so startling? about your work is that you are an intensivist. You work in a hospital. You deal with emergencies all the time. And it seems like someone in your position doesn't have a lot of time for compassion. And yet compassion is at the center of what you're talking about. What do you even mean by compassion? So compassion is typically defined this way, an emotional response to another person's pain and suffering involving an authentic desire to help. So it's distinct from a closely related word, empathy. Empathy is the sensing, feeling, detecting, and understanding component. But compassion goes beyond that because it involves taking action to alleviate another person's pain or suffering to whatever extent is possible. Now, empathy is vitally important. Because if you don't sense, detect, feel, and understand, you'll miss every opportunity to respond to people around you with compassion. You'll just miss it entirely. So empathy is vital, but compassion is action. So an easy, a simple way to think of it is empathy plus action equals compassion. And you mentioned time. The evidence, and, and sometimes when we think about it, we think that investing ourselves in other people must just take so much time in our super busy lives. But what the evidence shows is that even just 40 seconds of compassion for others can make not just a meaningful difference for another person, but also a measurable one in, in all the studies that we've curated. Now, you do mention the studies in the book, and I'm um, 
I'm thinking maybe you could describe how you measured that 40 seconds, how, how you determined that 40 seconds was all it takes. So there are other studies around the one that I'll describe to you that show in general meaningful and, and measurable effects of human connection take less than a minute. In, in the specific study you're asking me about, it was a study from Johns Hopkins University where they, they studied almost 300 people, the vast majority of them being breast cancer survivors. And the outcome measure for the study was patient anxiety. Now, if you've ever had cancer or someone close to you has had cancer, you know that anxiety is a pretty important outcome measure. And what they did is they randomized these subjects to either a conventional information-only consultation with an oncologist, a cancer specialist, or the same exact consultation with just a little bit more. And that little bit more were messages like, I know this is a difficult time for you, but you're not going to go through this alone. I'm here with you. And I just want to emphasize again that we are in this together. I'll be with you every step along the way. And what these researchers from Johns Hopkins found is that there was a statistically significant reduction in anxiety among the people who heard that message. And some of my colleagues bristle at these sorts of conversations because they say to me, there should be no time element or time dimension at all. We can go through our days with brusque efficiency, letting everybody know exactly how busy we are or how busy we think we are. But if someone were to actually hold a stopwatch to you, it wouldn't be any different if you would go through your day and treat every person you came across with compassion. Well, I'm wondering how you were able to get busy doctors, busy nurses, and other healthcare professionals to modify their attitudes and, in particular, their behaviors. Because I can just imagine a busy hospital, maybe, you know, it's a Monday morning and there's a bunch of emergency stuff that has showed up and people are rushing around and I'm thinking COVID and you know, how difficult that has been for the last two and a half years. So how did you change attitudes? Really what it's all about is understanding that there's evidence that compassion for others is a powerful beneficial therapy for the giver too, for the giver too. So our first book a couple years back called Compassionomics was really for the healthcare community. Our new book is focused on exactly that principle, but for far beyond the healthcare community, for everyone, everywhere. It's the evidence that serving others is in fact the best medicine for yourself. And we, we curate all the evidence behind that. And where it started really is where the science meets the personal. Because for me as an intensivist and, and what I do in my job, I, I often describe it as that we that we meet people and their families on the worst day of their life. And after 20 years of doing that, I, I became very much aware that I had every symptom of burnout myself. And so what was I supposed to do? Well, the evidence, or, or I should say the, the conventional thinking was to get away more, to detach, to escape, to go deeper withinward and take more nature walks and, and, you know, to take more vacations as if getting away from patients was some sort of antidote. And it didn't make any sense to me because I thought that, that really the solution had to be something fundamentally different at the point of care. And that's where we 
began to see the signal in the evidence that compassion for others can be beneficial for oneself. And that when you analyze the scientific evidence, there is an association between compassion for others and burnout. But in contrast to what I was taught years ago, 25 years ago in medical school, the association is inverse, inverse. Okay. Now that is an important statistical concept. Will you explain it, please? Absolutely. So when I was in medical school, I remember this very vividly being taught. Don't care too much because too much caring, too much compassion burns you out. And I believed that for 25 years. And that was based on opinion, anecdotal uh, experiences. It wasn't based on research. So 20, fast forward 25 years, and when I was in the throes of burnout myself, and I, and I want to be very clear that I don't say that lightly. I mean, burnout is a really dark place. I mean, burnout's re- burnout is it's the perfect term because you feel like a building after a fire that's just been gutted from the inside out and and that's you know emptied completely emptied and when i went to the evidence because i'm i'm trained as a researcher uh i call myself a research nerd all the time as a physician scientist i went to the evidence and now 25 years later there there was ample research to to inform this burnout that i was in 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 the throes of and, and what the evidence showed, contrast in contrast to what I learned in medical school or what's taught, too much caring burns you out. If that was true, then you'd see a positive association, high compassion, high burnout, low compassion, low burnout. But what the research actually shows is that the relationship is inverse, high compassion, low burnout, low compassion, high burnout. You are listening to Dr. Stephen Treziak, Professor and Chair of Medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and the Chief of Medicine at Cooper University Healthcare in Camden, New Jersey. He's co-author of Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others Is the Best Medicine for Yourself. After the break, we'll learn more about how high compassion can be linked to low burnout. It seems that practicing compassion can help both parties. Could this approach help American medicine move away from the attitude that there's a pill for every ill? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. 
More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. People often think that compassion only helps the recipient of kindness. But the data show that practicing compassion is actually a pillar to achieving our own good health. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Tresiak, professor and chair of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and the chief of medicine at Cooper University Healthcare. He's co-author of Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others Is the Best Medicine for Yourself. Dr. Treziak, you just presented us with the counterintuitive idea that high compassion is associated with low burnout. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Well, my hypothesis, and, and first of all, that association, that inverse association is shown in meta-analyses of all the scientific data in healthcare. And my hypothesis to explain it is that if you care deeply about patients and you have the relationship that flows from that, then you get the fulfilling part of, of what it means to take care of patients. You get the fulfilling part of being in medicine. And if you don't have that, all you really have is a stressful job, a really stressful job. And so when I became aware of that evidence, I decided to test the compassion hypothesis for myself. I very in intentionally decided to lean in rather than pull back and detach, to care more, not care less. And not just with patients and their families in the ICU, but with the nurses that I had worked with at that point for, for 15 plus years, with my colleagues, and even outside of the hospital, even at home. And, and that was really where the fog of burnout began to lift for me, and it changed everything. And what Dr. Maz and I have found in our work is that what the research supports, not just in healthcare, but far beyond healthcare, is that the key to resilience is relationships. The key to resilience is relationships. And that has, it's, it's what I call where the science meets the personal, because we not already, not only curated the scientific evidence behind that principle, but I've lived it myself. Let me share with you something that we experienced about 30, 40 years ago. We were attending a conference at uh, Wisconsin, Stevens Point, and a, a physician stood up and was talking about stress. And he said, you know, it's, it's really important for you to hang out with people that make your hands warm and avoid people that make your hands cold. And he said, you know, just buy a mood ring because you just look at that ring and you'll be able to tell if that person that you're interacting with is, is a person who's making your hands warm and is a, is a kind person gentle, compassionate person. I thought, oh, what a crock. <laughs> that sounds silly. But over the last 30, 40 years, I've come to believe that's true. And it sounds like what you're talking about is when you're interacting with a patient or perhaps even a family member, that if your hands are warm and their hands are warm, you're establishing a connection, a positive interaction. That's right. And it's not only good for them, it's good for you too. 
I mean, it actually changes your physiology. physiology. There are physiological mechanisms that are associated with serving others and that, that warm hands uh, moment uh, that, you, that you talk about. And, and to the point of, that you raised about the physician, it is important to associate with people who have that effect on you. So there's a principle in the scientific literature called elevation. Elevation, it's, an, it's a state of emotional uplift when we bear witness to another person's goodness and their moral integrity or their heroism uh, in, in helping and serving other people. And what the research shows is that when we experience elevation by those people around us, it, it actually motivates us to serve others in response and to not only want to be a better person, but actually to try to live it out. And, and these are principles that I think, you know, I can remember my mom teaching me this years ago, but there is ample scientific evidence to support that that is true and to, and to show its effects in measurable ways. Now, Dr. Truziak, you say that you have tested your hypothesis that compassion matters and you can measure how it matters. Can you just share some of the most salient data about that? Oh, sure. So I can share with you um, a message about the power of serving others. So just a couple of years ago, I was taking care of a patient in the ICU, a middle-aged man who had a septic shock. And so that's a condition where there is overwhelming infection in the body and it's causing all the different organ systems to shut down. It's literally one of the most lethal things in all of medicine. And through my experience of working in the ICU, I knew that despite us trying to do everything that we possibly could, that he was likely not going to survive the night. And I had to share that message, that, that, that painful message with his sister, who was just a few years younger. And what, uh, that was a very difficult talk because as she said, he had been her rock throughout his whole life. And after that very difficult conversation, she asked me a question that I never had before in the ICU. No one ever asked me. She said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, I'm sorry. She said, it, it's okay. I wouldn't expect you to. You, you're, you all are so busy in this ICU. You take care of so many patients. I wouldn't expect you to remember me, but I need you to know something. I need you to know that seven years ago, she took her hand and she pointed at the ICU bed right across the hall from where her brother was laying. And she says, I need you to know seven years ago, my mom was in that bed right over there and she was dying. And there was nothing that could be done to save her. And you were her doctor. And you had to tell me that. So you and I have had this talk before. And it just, it took my breath away. But what she said next is something I will never forget as long as I live. She said, I need you to know those nurses, those nurses, they were like angels to me. They let me know that I wasn't going to go through this alone. And they held me in those days when my mom was dying. And it's still painful for me seven years later to think about, I think about my mom all the time because we were so close, but I need you to know that when I think about her and her death, I think about those nurses and it makes me feel better even now, even now, seven years later. And so this is what I, I teach this, this, this power, if you will, to my medical students and interns and residents and fellows that, that human connection and, and meeting somebody in 
their time of need is something that you may not think about when you go home at the end of a busy shift, but the other person may literally never forget it because it echoes and reverberates in like an echo chamber over and over, never, perhaps never to be forgotten. And so human connection is powerful in ways that we don't even realize. And once we realize that that serving others, so for all your listeners outside of healthcare, when you meet somebody in their moment, when they need help the most, that they're at the end of their rope, and perhaps you can't even detect it because they've got their poker face glued on tight. But when you meet people in that moment with kindness and with compassion, it may change their life forever where they never forget that moment. And so when you realize that's part of, that's part of the prescription, as we say, for serving others, because once you know your power, once you know the power of that moment, you want to use your kindness and your compassion and your service for others, every opportunity that you have. Dr. Tresiak, I'd like to share a, sh a short story with you that reinforces the message you've just shared with our listeners. We interviewed many years ago, Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen. Uh, she wrote a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom, uh, My Grandfather's Blessings. Blessings. And um, in that, in one of those books, she mentions a person who she came to know who was in a very abusive relationship. Uh, her husband uh, treated her terribly. And they happened to be in New York City at a street corner. And she was looking at the building across the street and sort of said to herself, oh, isn't that a beautiful building? And they were waiting for the light to change. And her husband, not worrying about anybody around them, basically said, it's a terrible building. It's an ugly building. You're stupid. And a woman standing next to her turned to him and said, you, sir, are a horse's ASS. You have no idea. That is a beautiful building. Your wife is absolutely correct. And you are full of you know what. And the light changed and they walked across the street. And the woman was profoundly impacted. And as a result of that essential affirmation by a complete stranger on a street corner in a city they didn't even live in, one they were visiting, she eventually realized that the relationship she was in was not the right relationship for her, and she was able to leave it. And she was able to go on, develop a career, ultimately became a friend of Dr. Remen. And the, I guess the message is that the woman who intervened for maybe at most 30 seconds changed the trajectory of this woman's life in such a profound way. And I guess what you're saying is that that can happen every day for all of us. And the woman who made that comment, that was such a profound moment in the other person's life, she probably didn't give it a second thought. Exactly right. She probably has no idea that, you know, that, that this very brief interaction made any difference at all. Dr. Treziak, your book, Wonder Drug, actually emphasizes throughout the idea that practicing compassion is not just good for the person for whom we are compassionate, but it's good for us as well. Can you tell us why? 
Sure. So the first thing I want to emphasize is that we're not talking about magic and I don't have any magical thinking. And so my background is I'm a physician scientist. And so not only are, are the effects of serving others evidence-based as we curate all the evidence, we like to look for mechanisms, right? So there are multiple mechanisms that I'll just briefly summarize for you. One is that when you serve others, it actually directly activates the reward, reward center of your brain. It's part of the reason why it feels good to help people. Another reason is the second mechanism, which is a flood of uh, hormones and neurotransmitters, which are associated with a myriad of, of important and positive physiological effects, but also feel good. So we're talking about endorphins and dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin. A third mechanism is that serving others actually fine tunes the nervous system. So in contrast to the fight or flight response that we're, uh, that we're commonly taught about, that's called the sympathetic nervous system. It serving others pushes the balance towards the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, the calming effect of the nervous system. And so that's why many people describe that when they serve others, they feel much more calm. The fourth one is that serving others reduces the stress response in our body. And so chronic unmitigated stress is associated with increased mortality risk and other associated negative effects on our health and serving others actually buffers that effect and cancels out the effect of chronic stress on mortality risk. And lastly, serving others also does something to how our genes are expressed and in specifically it uh, dials down the expression of genes, which turn on systemic inflammation. So chronic systemic inflammation throughout the body is associated with all sorts of bad things like cardiovascular disease and cancer. And so uh, that is if sustained over a long period of time and a life of consistently serving others can downregulate that to some extent. And the effects are not only in the physiological domain or the physical health effects and longevity, but also psychological, emotional, and even professional success. Dr. Tresiak, physicians spend a lot of time trying to get patients to, to do something or change something. And some patients probably like the idea of a quick fix, a pill that takes care of the problem. You just, just give me a Torvastatin and I can have an ice cream sundae whenever I want. How can your prescription be applied so that the idea of a pill for every ill is not necessarily the answer, especially in a hospital or an intensive care unit? So one of the things I said earlier is that I don't have any magical thinking. In line with that, I don't have any magical thinking about... Uh, a one and done effect, so to speak. That would be like thinking I ate spinach once, so now I'm going to be good until I'm 90 years old. Um, of course, that's ridiculous, but the same, it's also not true for serving others. And so what we have to do is build it 
into our daily lives as a habit so that it becomes a part of who we are. And what the research supports is not a one and done effect. If it's sustained over time consistently where it becomes part of our daily routine and who we are, that those are the people that will uh, have the effect. Now, you mentioned some people like to just pop a pill as if it's easy. Well, the first part of our seven-part evidence-based prescription is start small. So when many people hear about the science behind serving others, they think, well, that's great. I might do that you know, later on in my life when I'm retired and I have more time. What the research, what the research supports is that all you need is simple prism changes to help begin to receive what we call the live to give effects. So you don't need a major life upheaval. You don't need to quit your job and sell all your worldly possessions and move to a third world country and start hauling water from a distant well. Not at all. In fact, what the research supports is that we just need to focus on the people who are already in our own orbit and all the opportunities to serve others that are all around us. Research shows that in everyday life, we have nine empathy opportunities per day. And what the research supports, and this is what Dr. Maz and I call the daily 16, just 16 minutes per day of serving others on average, if sustained over time, is all that's needed to exceed the threshold effect to get all the benefits. You're listening to Dr. Stephen Treziak, Professor and Chair of Medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and Chief of Medicine at Cooper University Healthcare. He's co-author of Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others is the Best Medicine for Yourself. After the break, we'll talk about practicing compassion. All of our skills get better if we practice them. How did Dr. Treziak settle on 16 minutes a day? What kind of a difference does that make? Can compassion help us create trust that's authentic and not simply transactional? Find out what we can all do today to try out Dr. Treziak's prescription for better health outcomes through serving others. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements. Cocoflavanols are among the most well-studied plant-based nutrients, backed by 20 years of scientific research. Cocovia Cardio Health is available in capsules or powder, providing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols daily. This supports better blood flow and vascular performance. Cocovia also offers Memory Plus, a supplement with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols. This product is backed by four different clinical studies, demonstrating significant improvement in several aspects of memory. Cocovia flavanols offer you all the benefits of chocolate without the sugar. Get 15% off your order by using the discount code PEOPLES15. That discount code, PEOPLES15. More information at cocovia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. 
the People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, offering its cardio health product with 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols in powder and capsule form. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. We're talking today about compassion and serving others. Some people try to be nice because they think that will benefit them. But it turns out that such a transactional approach is usually counterproductive. To learn more about why motivation matters, we are talking with Dr. Stephen Treziak, professor and chair of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and chief of medicine at Cooper University Healthcare. He's co-author of Wonder Drug, seven scientifically proven ways that serving others is the best medicine for yourself. Dr. Treziak, you've just been telling us about the fact that it doesn't take a great deal of time. Really, with just 16 minutes a day of practicing kindness and compassion, it makes a difference. Tell us about what kind of difference it makes. So what research supports is that in addition to longevity effects, meaning people who serve others consistently have longer life. So a number of studies have shown this and meta-analyses have shown that there is a clear association between serving others, typically measured through volunteerism, like volunteering to serve uh, organizations or a good cause or something like that, and lower mortality risk. And anytime you see that sort of research, people like me, physician scientists, get a little bit skeptical because there's always a possibility of, uh, and the research term for this is unmeasured confounders or residual confounding. So things that are hard to measure that might be behind the results of a study that um, actually explain why the results are happening. So for example, researchers in epidemiology journal studied married couples in order to try to combat this. So if you're thinking maybe it, it maybe people who don't serve others happen to also live next to a toxic waste dump or eat too much junk food. And these things are hard to measure in research studies. So maybe that's what the explanation is. So these researchers studied married couples and they were cohabitating married couples. So they lived at the same address, ate the same dinner, probably had the same friends. And yet what they found is that the spouses who serve others had a benefit in terms of longevity, whereas those spouses that didn't serve others didn't have that benefit. So it wasn't something in the water. It wasn't the drapes. It wasn't any of those things. The association appears to be serving others gives you a longevity benefit. And we think it's related to all those mechanisms I was mentioning earlier in the show. Dr. Tresiak, Physicians love data. You've already established that. Show us the evidence. I suspect that in your hospital, there are probably some healthcare providers who were a little skeptical about this idea of compassion. Have you converted them? How do you deal with 
other institutions where they haven't recognized the value of compassion. Are you able to make change not only in your hospital, but what about all those hundreds and thousands of other hospitals around the country that haven't yet embraced compassion? So I was first in line in that line of skeptics. So when Dr. Maz uh, pitched to me this, this concept that we ought to uh, science it up, you know, all these things that we typically put in the domain of the art of medicine, what we wanted to do is test the hypothesis that there are also evidence-based effects belonging in the science of medicine. And what really changed my mind was looking at all the data for myself. And these studies that have been published over many decades now, I'm sure when they were published, they made a splash or even a ripple. But when you push them all together, it just, it just makes this tidal wave of data and a just striking, uh, unmistakable signal that serving others is in fact the best medicine for yourself. And so one of the, the, the ways to convert people, if you will, is to just show them the data. And we didn't begin this research. We didn't begin this work to change anybody's hearts. We think that most people uh, have their hearts in the right place. What we did this work for is to change people's minds, to realize that serving others isn't just uh, what we realize it's a, is that serving others doesn't just make meaningful differences, but also measurable differences. And when you see the data, it makes you want to live differently, live intentionally. And when you test that hypothesis for yourself and you realize the changes, then you just don't want to go back. Throughout Wonder Drug, you and Dr. Mazzarelli make it very clear that motivation is key. Why does motivation matter so much? So your listeners might groan at the thought that sincerity is required on top of just serving others, but it's not what we think. It's not what we believe. None of the principles that we present are our opinion but rather it's what we found going through the scientific literature. And what the research supports is that motives matter. And what research has shown is that people who are serving others for genuine, if you will, altruistic purposes, rather than strategic helping, meaning like I'm giving to get, the altruistic people who are helping for genuine reasons get the benefits where the where strategic helping is not associated with those benefits and and something that might help to explain it is that neuroscience research using a brain imaging modality called functional mri where you can do a brain scan to see what part of the brain is being activated at any given moment in time that genuine altruistic helping and serving activates a distinct neural structure, a distinct different part of the brain compared to when you're strategically helping. Like instead of what we call a live to giver, uh, if you're going to be a give together, meaning you're, you're helping and serving because you think you'll get some reciprocity, you'll get something in return. And as far as your brain is concerned, as shown on these brain scans, your brain knows the difference. 
as it translates to outcomes, the, the benefits that we found in physical health and mental health and emotional health, happiness and well-being, they don't come with strategic helping. Uh, they come with what we call the live to give mindset. And we think that's an important part of the body of evidence because clearly motive, motives do matter. Well, I think people can sense if you're really truly caring or whether it's just a sort of transactional interaction. And I think the whole idea of trust comes into play because if a doctor comes into the room and says, how you doing? Uh, what's wrong with you? You kind of get a sense of, well, the doctor's in a hurry. And so I wonder if you can just share with us the importance of trust and, and how you build trust within relationships or organizations, especially a hospital. Uh, so as an administrator at an important hospital, how do you create trust that's true and, and not transactional? It's a great question, and trust is fundamental to all human relationships, of course. And in our research program, so in addition to curating the evidence and presenting it, Dr. Maz and I have a research program where we're testing additional hypotheses. And what we have found evidence for signals in our own data, um, as well as the published evidence, is that in the context of healthcare, Trust is fundamental for one's likelihood of following up for screening tests, following instructions. What, what the data really shows is that if you care deeply about patients and they know that, they're more likely to take their medicine. They're more likely to follow the instructions. They're more likely to do the things that will keep them healthy because of the strength of the relationship. And so trust is obviously a fundamental element of that. Our research program is testing the hypothesis that more compassion really drives trust, lowers distrust of the healthcare system and makes people more likely to not only follow instructions, but follow up for screenings and keep them healthier over time. And the reason why we think that this line of research is so important is that it's not relying on the technical aspects of everything that we were trained about in medical school. It's basically relying on the strength of human connection, on the strength of relationships, and how human relation in, in strong relationships and caring relationships drive behavior. And we just think it's fundamental to everything that we do here. Tell us about your approach to gratitude, Dr. Tresiak. Why isn't it enough just to say thank you? Well, you might have heard that an attitude of gratitude is good for you. Many studies have supported that, and it's made its way into the lay press. A lot of people have successfully received that message. It's true. It is good for you. But as a physician scientist, I wanted to know the answer why. Why is it good for you? And what we found in going through the evidence is that being grateful primes one's mind to look for opportunities to serve others. And specifically, being grateful puts us in a position where we're more likely 
to help and serve others. So yes, gratitude is important. And it's actually one of the parts of the, the seven part prescription that Dr. Maz and I provide. But what it does, being grateful, being thankful, is it primes us to help and serve at every opportunity that we have. Well, you have suggested that uh, helping is evolutionary. Would you expand on that, please? So Darwin was known for the saying survival of the fittest. Now, he actually didn't coin that phrase. It was one of his colleagues that did that. And if you look into Darwin's writings, what he actually uh, wrote about, among many other things, of course, was that the communities, the groups that cared for each other would be more likely to survive over time. So it was, you know, sharing that woolly mammoth steak around the fire uh, that would help ensure that uh, the species would go on. And so we often equate Darwinian survival of the fittest with like gladiator, doggy dog type of behavior. When actually, if you look into what, what he wrote, he was clearly indicating that taking good care of each other matters for survival of the species. And I just think that's somewhat intuitive. Dr. Tresiak, you have a quiz in your book to help people understand, you know, where they may be coming from as far as um, compassion is concerned. And I'm just going to read a couple of the um, sort of the, the quiz questions. There are 20 questions. I'm just going to give a few. Helping the people I love is one of the greatest joys of my life. If a friend called and needed me right away, it would feel wonderful to drop everything and help. Helping people makes me feel at peace with myself. Helping people in need makes me feel proud, but it's not something to brag about. And there are people who like to wear their quote unquote, compassion on their sleeve. Look, look how great I am. I, I did somebody a favor. Why is this quiz so important for people to be able to assess their own level of compassion? Well, we're physician scientists, so we couldn't resist the opportunity to measure something. So we measure it through a quiz, which we actually derive from some research that was done a couple of decades ago, and we further refined it. And And since we, we, we just recently published a, a validation of this quiz, even making it a little bit shorter, but it is important to discern. And, and the reason why we think this quiz is important is because it doesn't just measure action, but emotion. So it's not just the quiz doesn't just ask you about what you're doing. It's about it asks you questions about what you're doing and how it makes you feel, because if it feels good, it is more likely to be sustainable behavior. And one of the questions that you um, mentioned had the word joy in it, which I think that's important. And we, we draw some distinctions in the book, like what is pleasure and what is joy and pleasure, you know, that's probably like a dopamine hit. You can get that from ice cream or Netflix, right? But, but joy is something different. Joy is something more transcendent. That's the word we think most, in our opinion, most clearly describes the difference. And typically joy is a byproduct or oftentimes a byproduct of serving something greater to your, greater than yourself. 
And more often than not, that's about serving other people. And so the word joy in one of those quiz questions is important because joy, it's not just simple pleasure or amusement, but joy is something where it, it's a transcendent experience and, and typically focused on other people, not just focused on ourselves. Dr. Tresiak, I wonder about what I'm going to call difficult people. How do you find common ground with people who disagree with you? Now, that's especially important during COVID as, as a healthcare provider, but it's also true when it comes to politics because we are so divided in this country right now. So help me understand how to establish compassion and common ground with people who are not necessarily welcoming your approach. Clearly, we're more polarized than perhaps ever before. What this can lead to is what some researchers have called parochial empathy, which means I will take good care of our own, the people who are in our in-group as opposed to our out-group, the other. What research shows quite clearly is that when we do that, we think we're being compassionate to people, but we're actually being very selective in who we care about and care for and take care of. What that will do, if you look at the totality of our behaviors, is we actually are more rough, less compassionate, less caring, and treat people worse in the outgroup. So the balance overall is that we actually treat people worse when we actually believe that we only ought to treat some people better. And again, we miss so many empathy opportunities every day. We will miss so many more if we don't see more people in our in-group. Dr. Treziak, we all know that compassion and empathy and serving others are, are wonderful, but it isn't always easy to figure out how to do that exactly. And it isn't a quick fix with uh, instant rewards, the, which is the sort of thing that American society has, has, really, has really focused on for the last, I don't know, 50 years or so. So what can we all start doing today to try out your prescription and get ourselves on the path to better health outcomes through serving others? So one of the components of the seven-part seven prescription for serving others is all about purpose and being purposeful. And so that might sound a little nebulous, like how can we be, find our purpose in, in you know, the people around us? One of the keys that Dr. Maz and I have found in the literature is that we need to ask the right questions. As I mentioned earlier, what research shows is that we have nine empathy opportunities in everyday life. And the reason why that's important for me to realize is I think about how many did I miss already just today. And we don't want to have our face buried in our phone because we'll miss all those empathy opportunities all around us. But when we see potential opportunities for empathy, we need to be sure to ask the right questions. And what I mean by that is that we ought to ask questions that are, are very different from the cursory questions we typically ask people, perhaps at the workplace. Hey, you good? Great. 
you know, that just invites the thought that you think you're too busy to be bothered. But try asking a question that can't be answered with a yes or no question. Like I found in my practice, even when working with patients who are just horribly ill, if you ask them how they're doing, they'll say, fine. Well, they're not. It's just, it becomes like a reflex. And that's what we say to people. And it's better to ask questions that can't be answered with a yes or no question. Like, for example, how can I make your day a little bit better for you? How can I help you today? Like, give me something to do that is meaningful for you. And this is, again, evidence-based. So there's a study from the University of Colorado conducted in the context of an emergency department where they enrolled patients after they were seen by the triage nurse and they were their chart was created with a chief complaint at the top of the record. That's the main reason you come seeking care in an emergency department. So it might be something like chest pain or sprained ankle or stomach ache. But then they asked these patients a question. They said, what worries you the most? What worries you the most? And, and I, and I said, we need to learn to ask the right questions. I've learned to ask this question and it's based on the data that they gleaned from this study. So what they found is when they asked patients, what worries them the most? there was only a 26% concordance between what worried them the most and their chief complaint. 74% of the time, they were discordant, meaning they were different. So for example, a middle-aged man, his chief complaint was chest pain. But when he was asked, what worries you the most? It was, I know I can't stay away from the hospital and I know it's because of the drugs. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose my family. And so in that case, it wasn't, you know, I'm sure they were doing electrocardiograms and blood markers and all these things. And that's right. But if they didn't ask the right question, really why he was there was addiction. And so if we don't ask people the right questions, we'll never know how we can serve them. And we, we shouldn't be afraid to ask. We don't always have to be a fixer. Just letting people know that they're not going to go through whatever they're going through alone can sometimes be therapeutic in and of itself. Dr. Stephen Treziak, thank you so much for talking with us on the People's Pharmacy today. And thank you and Dr. Mazzarelli for writing this book, Wonder Drug. It's terrific. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Stephen Treziak. He's a physician scientist, professor, and chair of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University and chief of medicine at Cooper University Healthcare in Camden, New Jersey. His latest book, co-authored with Dr. Anthony Mazzarelli, is Wonder Drug, Seven Scientifically Proven Ways That Serving Others Is the Best Medicine for Yourself. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Liederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, the maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today's show is number 1,323.
You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments to let us know what you think about today's show. Email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter and get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to the newsletter, you also have regular access to our weekly podcast, and you can find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.